This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And I am so excited to talk to my guest today. I wish I talked to him 20 years ago when I was starting my business. Actually, it's almost 25 now because he deals with consultants. Hello, that's me. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where we really haven't had a lot of guidance. We think we're on our own. And the problem is we're not. There are resources for us. And my guest today is one of those resources. So please join me in welcoming Michael Zapersky to our program today. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Deb. How you doing? Oh, absolutely fabulous. Let me tell people just a little bit about you, and then we will jump into this. So Michael Zapersky is the CEO of Consulting Success and coach to consultants. He has advised organizations like Financial Times, Dow Jones, RBC, Omron, Sumitomo, and helped Panasonic launch new products into global markets. But most importantly, he's helped over 300 consultants from around the world in over 50 industries add six and seven figures to their annual revenues. Over 34,000 consultants read his weekly consulting newsletter, which I just signed up to get. Michael is also the author of the Amazon bestsellers, The Elite Consulting Mind and Consulting Success. So again, Michael, welcome to our program. It's great to be with you, Deb. Great. Well, let's take a a step back and tell us why it is that you founded this business. So uh, consulting success, I mean, really came from my uh, background building consulting businesses. And uh, we're going back in about 19 years when I first got started, Mm -hmm. uh, when my cousin Sam and I uh, launched our initial business, which was just when I was actually coming out of uh, high school into university. Uh, And the first business that we put out was a web design and development uh, company. And that we ran that for a couple of years. And then uh, we moved on to our next business, which was a branding and consultancy uh, marketing business. I actually went and opened up our branch office for that in Japan. Um, so, excuse the noise there, motorcycle going by, but uh, should be gone in just a second. Yes, uh, so, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, we're doing it live. Uh, so, you know, that experience of, uh, of really starting to work with different types of organizations, uh, Sam's focus was more on kind of like the branding and design. Mine was more on the strategy uh, and the marketing. And we, you know, we did that for many years. I came back to North America, opened up a lead generation uh, consulting business, working with professional services firms. And along this whole kind of path, you know, so almost a decade of, uh, of experience, both um, having successes and also learning a lot of lessons, I realized that it would be nice to share. It'd be nice to uh, share with others what I had gone through. And that's kind of really where consulting success was born. There was no monetization model behind it. It was just writing articles and sharing experiences, kind of stories from the trenches of what was working and consulting for us and what wasn't. Uh, and we, we built up a, a pretty strong following and community and people said, hey, we want more. And so that led to creating you know, the first course and then books and then programs. But that's really um, you know, where it was. And now fast forward uh, about a decade later, we're, we're still working with consultants. Great. I love it. You know, and as I mentioned, when I started my business, you know, I decided 
I didn't want to be in corporate America anymore. And, you know, and, and <clears throat> part of that decision had been made for me because the company I was with downsized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was so, and, and then, you know, this in many ways is the typical story. You know, we're, we're working for somebody, something happens, and now what? Um, but, yeah, when I started my business, there were books, you know, how to be a consultant, how to mm-hmm. freelance, how to, you know, do all of these various things. But in many ways, I was still completely on my own. Um, and the, the problem is, I think many consultants nowadays still think they're totally alone. And, I, and, and that is, when I talk to people, one of their biggest complaints is they think, you know, they are alone. You know, often we're in a spare room in our house or, mm-hmm. you know, we might actually have an office or a shared space. But, you know, it's, it's still just us for the most part. Um, and we don't know where to turn for resources. We don't even know in many cases what the heck it is that we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so in many cases, uh, you know, our, our little fledgling organizations fail and we end up going back to working for somebody else. Um, is that kind of what you have found? Yeah, I mean, that, that's really kind of the, the reason behind uh, where consulting success is today is, is to serve that community because you're right, it, it can be very lonely. I mean, many people, whether you work from a home office or you have an external office, uh, you still tend to, to spend quite a bit of time by yourself. And uh, especially when you transition from the corporate world into consulting, you have a lot of questions, right? You, you're an expert in your area, which might be pharmaceutical or management or design or whatever it is, but you're not usually an expert in the business side of actually growing the business. And so what we find is that many consultants aren't familiar with really how to structure their fees or how to decide what area of specialization they should have or how to really win proposals or market effectively. And uh, those things, if you don't have a place to go to, uh, you're left with a lot of um, you know, answers that kind of you're, you're missing. So you have lots of questions that you don't have answers. And so what that then does is it, it really makes progress very difficult. And what we tend to see is if people don't really have a place to go or they're not sure what to do, they tend to try a lot of things and kind of get bit by the, you know, the shiny object syndrome where they try something, it doesn't work and go, oh, well, I guess what I'm doing doesn't work. And they try something else or they're, you know, on Instagram or they're just listening to like the latest kind of tech or, or trend out there. And that often can actually really hold them back from, from making, um, you know, real progress and, and seeing success in their business. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned that, you know, we, we have all come from an industry yeah, with, with specific knowledge. So maybe sure. we are a, a pharmaceutical person. Maybe we are um, a, a public speaker, you know, a, a marketing person like mm-hmm. I am, you know, things like that. And the problem is there's so much else that goes into that business from legal aspects, financial aspects, all of those various things. And you know, one of the things that I have found is so many times we think, well, we have to know it all. You know, mm-hmm. Heaven forbid we ask for help. And, you know, and, and again, that's why I think it's great that you provide this service because it's got that information. You know, we're, we're not lost, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know and, and so tell us really um, about the services that you provide. Sure. Well, I mean, even before doing that, just to, to really try and serve and, and add value for everyone on here, I think that trying to know it all is, is actually one of the things that holds a lot of people back. Um, you know, if you get lost in, uh, trying to focus on like, you know, the belief. And we see this quite uh, often where I need to have a website or I have to have a beautiful logo or I have to have all these things in place before I, you know, quote unquote, like officially launch. Uh, and, and that delays your progress because what's most important is actually getting out there and having conversations with ideal clients. And so, you know, you might have a beautiful website, you might have a perfect brand, you might have 
just a, a really like bulletproof business plan. But if you're not having conversations with, with prospective clients, then you don't have a business. And that's why, you know, I often say that the, the consulting business is just as much as a, a marketing business because you might have a real expertise, but if you don't have clients, you don't have anyone to deliver that expertise to. Um, in terms of your, your specific question, I mean, what, what we do is, of course, we have the books. Um, we have a program called Momentum, which is really for the early stage consultant, people who are transitioning from the corporate world into consulting and they want the, a proven foundation, kind of a step-by-step system that they can use to launch their business and kind of reach their first 100000 or so per year as a consultant. And then we have a coaching program called Clarity, where we really work with consultants who want to move faster, make a lot more progress. They want kind of the, the personal coaching guidance and support when they can really get their questions answered on a you know a very quick basis. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it is, it's a very confusing world um, when we're doing all of this. Because, you know, there's, in many cases, you know, we, I talked about the fact that, you know, we don't know what's, what's happening, but sometimes it's overload. I mean, you know, if you look on, say, Amazon about, um, you know, how to be a consultant or how to start a business or, you know, all those various things, you get overwhelmed sure. very quickly. Definitely. You know, and, and then we talk to our friends and our friends say, oh, you must do it this way. No, no, you must do it that way. Um, you know, and, and so it, it is very confusing. And, and then just we get confusing terminology. There's consultants, there's freelancers, there's entrepreneur, there's solopreneur, mm-hmm. um, there's side hustle, you know, all these various things. And, and for the most part, those are all the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and um, there there might be a legal definition um, of of some of those things, but in essence, it's that you have gone out on your own and you're starting a business. is is kind of my my philosophy. How, but how do you describe a consultant? Yeah, so maybe I could add kind of one distinction to that, which I think is a really important one for for people who are getting into consulting or are actively working as consultants. And so calling yourself a consultant, I mean, there's internal consultants, right? You might be working in an organization kind of as a consultant, so you're considered to be an internal consultant. But when most people think consultant, um, you know, aside from working in a large consulting firm itself, you're uh, you're an independent consultant. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a big difference between what we call a a consultant, which we refer to as independent consultant, and we uh, describe as a a consulting business owner. Right. Uh, we see quite often where consultants will essentially be working as contractors. Mm-hmm. So yes, they are consultants. They're providing advice and consulting services, but most of their eggs are in one basket. Mm-hmm. They're you know working kind of a longer term or a big project with right. one client or just a few clients. So really, they don't have a business. They have a job. They're doing consulting, and they might uh, want to kind of dress that up uh, as, hey, I'm a consultant. And that's great. Like If that works for you, that's fine. But the biggest problem that we see with that approach and that model is that when the project that you're working on currently stops, yeah. then you have then to find, I mean, yeah, you, you you're basically unemployed. Exactly. And so for most people, they don't, when they're working on that project, they're so busy with delivery uh, that they don't have then time to work on their business. And so when that project finishes, they have to then scramble to find the next. And that can often lead to many months without work. That can often lead from going from, uh, let's say, revenue of $20,000 a month to $0 a month. Um, and so the distinction, I think an important step for people to really recognize is that if you truly want to be in control of, of your destiny, if you want to avoid the roller coaster of you know, income going up and down, then you have to shift your mindset from just being a consultant, meaning just doing the work to actually being a consulting business owner right. where you operate and, um, and you know, really apply not just the work of your consulting expertise, but also working on your marketing and building your business consistently. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's important to note, it doesn't have to be just you. I mean, you can be a consultant with 100 employees um, sure. you know, or 100 
subcontractors who work for you or, you know, whatever you, you know, however you structure your business. Definitely. You know, one of the things that, that I have found is because the definitions vary, there are some, some, peop- some situations that people get into. Uh, you know, I knew someone one time who was working as a consultant mm-hmm. or a company. I mean, you know, it's like you said, he had the one client that he worked for. He had an office there. He had a title. He had business cards, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of things. And he worked there virtually every day. Right. Or even when he worked at home, that was, you know, he was working on projects for them. And of course, the tricky thing here in the United States is that the IRS says, no, 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 you're an employee. Right. <laughs> you might be calling yourself that, but, you know, you were, you were technically an employee. And so then a whole bunch of other things kick in. Sure. Um, you know, right. holding taxes, you know, insurance, all of those various things. And so one of the things I always tell people is be very careful. You know, if you are an in-house consultant, make sure that you're following the, in, at least in the United States, the guidelines, you know, to, to make sure that you're not going to go, you know, get crosswise with the IRS. Sure. Yeah. We're definitely not providing any type of legal advice here. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Always check those things on your own. Definitely. We'll, we'll make that disclaimer. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, it's, it's important. And I think that's a, a good way to illustrate, um, you know, whether you're, uh, you believe in what the IRS is, like their structure is, is good mm-hmm. or bad or whatever, that, put that aside for a second. But their definition is actually quite accurate. If you're spending most of your time working for right. one company, mm-hmm. uh, then you might call yourself a consultant, but you really are acting more like an employee. Um, and that's, that can be a nice little wake up call that you don't actually have a business, right? You have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're two very different things. And, uh, that is, I think a big opportunity for people who don't want to ride that roller coaster, uh, of, of the income and, and instead want to start, you know, kind of investing in, in growing their business. Now, I always say that the sooner you start, you know, making that transition, the sooner that you actually start right. seeing the results and it doesn't happen overnight, but it's like, you know, gardening or farming, you plant those seeds and, and then it's going to start to, uh, to benefit you with your crop right. later on. You know, and in my case, my first client was my former employer, mm-hmm. um, you know, which in, in many cases is what happens. And that's, then that is how you kind of get stuck in that trap. Um, you know, and and it, it, companies in many cases prefer that because they're not paying some of those, those other things. You know, they're only paying you your uh, consulting fee. That's right. You're charging, and so they're they're not having to deal with uh, workers' comp insurance, and, you know, all those those other benefits that, right. that they have to do, and and so it's to their advantage sometimes to do these things, um, but they of course don't want to go crosswise of the IRS either, um, you know, and and so, but but yeah, it, as you mentioned, then you know, then if something happens, then you're out, you know, you you have nothing, and even if you took the time to develop, say, you know, the, the legal framework for having a company. So you're, you know, whatever that is, you know, and, and there's a plethora of, of things here in the United States. There's, um, you know, uh, Schedule C, Schedule S, LLC, uh, Incorporated. Sure. And, and, you know, so again, check out where you are as to what the, the legal and, and uh, ramifications are and what would fit best for you. But, you know, if you if you've only been focusing on that one client, you haven't been marketing your business. Um, and I tell people, you know what, even when you're an employee, be thinking about, you know, what would happen if I had to go elsewhere? You know, do I need to keep my LinkedIn profile um, active? You know, all these various things. And, and so, you know, but, but obviously when it's your business, 
you need to be having at least some marketing. Um, you know, but that comes back to, but I don't know how to do marketing. You mm-hmm. know, and so you know, what are some tips and techniques that you have for consultants as to even just the basics of, of marketing that they need to be doing? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the foundation really starts with getting uh, clear on who your ideal client is. Okay. And um, we see people often, uh, you know, common mistake is they go far too wide, too broad, too general. Serve everyone. Exactly. Right. Because, and, and it makes sense, you know, coming from a corporate world, whether you're in, in profit or nonprofit, you've developed a lot of different skills and, and expertise. And so you look at the, the world and say, yeah, I can help a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that mindset tells you that the more that you are able to help, the more that you have you know, uh, the potential to, to grow your business, like it's a bigger pie, but it's, it's actually the exact opposite. Uh, subtraction is, is more powerful than, uh, than addition when you're looking to grow your business. And so the more that you can focus in on exactly who your ideal client is, uh, the more you're going to be able to actually start to see traction and progress faster. And that's because not only will you be more focused in identifying, you know, this is the specific type of ideal client that I want to work with. And so you actually be able to find them, right? Whether you're doing that on LinkedIn or you're doing that through some other list or some conference or whatever it might be, the, you know, the, the platform, but you're actually able to identify and get very focused on, uh, on those people. But the second thing that happens in the second step really is developing what we call a magnetic message. So it's a marketing message. It's a message that will get the attention and interest of your ideal clients. And if you've gone too broad mm-hmm. in identifying who your ideal clients are, then you won't have a message that really resonates with them because you'll be trying to, you know, communicate uh, to many different types of people right. and messages that work really well and they get people's attention, interest, and that get them to raise their hand and say, hey, tell me more about that are the type of messages that people, when they see them or, or hear them, uh, they feel like you're speaking directly to them. And so you can only do that if you're being very targeted in who your ideal client is. So that's the second step, right, is really developing that message. Uh, the third step is then just going and starting to connect with those ideal clients because you've now been able to find them. You've developed number two, that message is going to resonate with them and get their attention, have them to want to speak with you. The third step is now to actually go and start to connect with them. And this is another area where I think the, the kind of the age that we're in, uh, there's a lot of misinformation and um, we'll call it just people taking the wrong approach where they look at people as transactions. So it's mm-hmm. how many people can I get in front of and right. you know, I need to blast my message at them and tell them what I do and why they should buy from me. It's not about you. It's about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you shift from focusing on transactions to actually focusing on relationships, then you're going to connect with people. And when you do, you're going to really be focused on how can you add value for them, right? right. So think about it like a bank. You, you should be focused on depositing as much as you can, as much value as you can into that uh, relationship bank before you try and uh, make withdrawal. So don't go in just try and say, here, here's what I have to offer you, buy my stuff, because they're already bombarded with that kind of stuff. I mean, Deb, I get, I'm sure you do too, emails and messages on LinkedIn every single day, as well as just general emails from people saying, here's what I have, you know, buy it. It's great. Like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And I don't know who they are. So I'm not going to respond. You're not going to respond. Right. But if someone reaches out to you and says, Hey, this, um, you know, I've gone through what your, your profile, your website, it looks up to some really great stuff. Um, and I've done some work in this area with these types of companies, wondering if this is something that you might be dealing with. I have a case study or a white paper or whatever that I, I can send over to you. you know, if, if they've hit the, you know, the, the bullseye there in terms of the messaging, then you're going to respond and say, well, sure, like I'll take a look at that or that sounds interesting or yeah, I'd be open to a conversation. And it's not going to happen right away. Right. But if you consistently do follow up and you're always looking for ways to add value, you will start to build a pipeline uh, quite quickly. And that's where you can go from, you know, if you're reaching out even to five people per day, after one week, you've now reached out and kind of connected and started to build relationships with 25 different people, right. right? After two weeks, right? You're now up to 50 a month, a hundred. So it compounds and now you really start to build a pipeline and where people fall off is 
they, they don't follow up. They'll do, you know, one attempt, maybe two, if they're lucky, three, and they go, oh, I didn't get a response. Clearly, this is not working. And then they move on to the next group of people or the next tactic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the research continues to, to support that it can take up to 14 different interactions with people uh, before they actually really want to engage in a meaningful conversation. So you need to apply a, a long-term set to your marketing and think about marketing not as persuasion and, you know, and, and pushiness and, and kind of that salesy uh, idea, but rather that you are building a relationship that is long-term uh, and it's about value and it's about how you can collaborate with that person, support that person to help them to get what they want. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I had a conversation earlier this week with a young man who, and, and he, you know, young as in, it looked like he just got out of college mm-hmm. um, from his LinkedIn profile. I connected with him on LinkedIn and, and you know, he had sent me a personalized message mm-hmm. initially, which, you know, I always tell people, you know, we send at least something, yes. to, you know, at, like when I sent uh, my request on LinkedIn to you, I said, you know, this is for the business power hour. Right. You get so many requests. So, you know, always personalize it to some degree. And so he did, he personalized his request to connect and I was impressed because it was clear he'd actually looked at my profile, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I went ahead and I responded and I said, you know, it's nice to virtually meet you. Um, I'm happy to connect. How can I be of assistance to you? So then he responded fairly quickly. And again, it seemed like it was a personalized message, not cut and paste. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I, you know, I really would like to learn more about your business. Can we set up a quick call? And I'm thinking, hmm, Okay. This CEO, you know, this, this sounds pretty good. He's, he's piqued my interest because it wasn't, well, here's what I do. And here's how many, I can get you 50,000 new followers, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I sent him, uh, you know, a link to my scheduling program mm-hmm. Picked a time, like a half hour later. I mean, <laughs> I was like, Whoa, okay, luckily I was reading my emails. And so I went ahead and got on the call with him. Well, of course, it had nothing to do with me. It mm-hmm. really was all about how he could do things for me. And, you know, and, and at one point, and it was very clear that it was not something that, that was going to work. Sure. Uh, you know, I just wasn't interested in it, but I kept kind of listening to him and, and he kind of fuzzled out at, at one point And he finally said, are you interested in this in any way? I said, no. Nah. <laughs> and, and he said, well, then why did you take my call? And, and I said, well, you know, I, and I, I went back through the whole thing about, you know, look like it was a personal request, yada, yada, yada. And, and I said, you know, can I give you some, some tips, you know, from the, the wizened old person here? <laughs> and he, you know, you know, he said, sure. I'm sure if we'd been on video, he would have rolled his eyes at me. But, um, you know, he, he did say, you know, he said, sure. And I said, okay, I would never do business with somebody after one initial communication. You know, and, and because he kept saying, well, are you going to do, you know, is this something that sounds interesting? Can I, can I, you know, and, and, and I said, and he, and so he, of course said, well, why not? I said, because I don't know you. I don't know that I like you or dislike you. And I said, but most importantly, I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I said, and you have to build a relationship with someone. Now, if it was going to cost me five bucks, sure. You know, and, and, but this was, you know, it was going to be a monthly retainer and, you know, not an inexpensive type of thing. And I don't know that he got my point. I don't know that he ever understood that, you know, just reaching out to somebody and trying to sell something without building that relationship was probably not going to work. Um, you know, and, and so I love that, that you emphasize that because so many people don't, you know, and, and part of that is because we've started this business. We've got the greatest widget, the greatest product, the greatest service in the world. And why the heck wouldn't you want to buy it from us? Mm-hmm. 
but it, you know, it, it is all about those relationships first. Yeah. And it's also why I'd say brand is so important. Now, some people might hear the word brand and go, well, I'm just getting started. I don't have a brand, but uh, you know, when I, when I refer to brand, it's really about everything that you can do to demonstrate your authority and expertise. And so that's where the idea of content comes into play. Right. Uh, right? So whether you are putting out videos on YouTube or um, you know, videos on, on LinkedIn or articles there or on your blog, or you're writing for other publications, or you're speaking lots of different ways to demonstrate authority. But the more that you do that, uh, that's where you can actually have people who don't know you very well, but they've seen your stuff. They've been kind of you know, lurking and watching and now they feel like there's a connection to you. And so now they are, when they've actually reach out for that first time, much more likely to to buy what you have or to want to engage in a really meaningful sales conversation. And it's because your brand has been doing the work mm-hmm. for you. Um, so that's, a, that's really the big opportunity as well for people when they think about marketing is to also not just think about in terms of direct, you know, reaching out, which is very important, especially the early stages. And you should be doing the majority of that. I talk about uh, what I call the marketing maturity model, which is when you start off with your marketing, you should be spending more time on the direct outreach type of marketing because you can see results faster. But at the same time, you always want to be spending some time on longer term marketing. So that's the content side, right? Um, and as you are doing more and more of the direct outreach, your pipeline will build, you'll have more relationships mm-hmm. and you'll have more engagements, right? Winning uh, business uh, from that. Once that happens, then you're going to be able to, you know, pull back a little bit on the direct stuff and just do more and more of the content and, and the long term. And the benefit of that is that it's evergreen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what you'll find is that typically consultants who are successful and have been you know, kind of doing this for some time, they don't need to do as much of the direct outreach anymore because they've already built up enough assets and enough brand in the marketplace that people are just finding their content, right? They're coming into right. their world. But for those who are early stage in their marketing, I mean, you might have, you might be a consultant already for five or 10 years, but maybe most of your business come from referrals in your network. If you're at a place right now where, you know, you're just new to marketing because you actually are in a position where you need to build more, more pipeline leads, then you should be focused initially more on the direct outreach, mm-hmm. a little bit less on, you know, lower percentage on uh, the content long-term side, but that will switch, right? You know, have faith, stick with it, uh, and know that that tipping point will be reached as long as you make it a habit and work on it consistently. Right. You know, one of the things that struck me is, as you were talking, <coughs> excuse me, is the fact that, especially when you're just starting out, your brand is what people think of you personally. You know, do you operate with high integrity? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you a detail oriented? You know, all of these various things. And so that's where it's so important to watch what you're putting out there. Um, you know, love Facebook, think it's the greatest thing in the world, but holy schmoly, can people get the wrong impression? Or maybe it's not the wrong impression. You know, maybe you are, you know, politics is, of course, here in the United States, one of the huge things that, that people are continually posting about. So, you know, what are you posting about? Or you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're posting about, you know, you, uh, you know, I've seen people, you know, how drunk they get. Really? I'm, I'm going to work with somebody that's talking about that. No, I want to see somebody, maybe it is that they're posting about their family. I mean, you know, to me, that is one of the things that, that I love to see. Now, that's, you know, that, that gets a little delicate because people don't want to be giving away too much information, especially about their children. Um, you know, and, and, but when I see that they, that they you know, are, are a good, stable family person, 
that's going to raise them up a little bit for me. Um, you know, and, but then it comes back to other things. You know, what information are they sharing, especially on something like LinkedIn? Are they sharing industry articles, um, you know, or articles about, you know, uh, general business articles, things like that? You know, what, what is going to raise them, in my view, as a person? Yeah, and the way that I look at um, social media or kind of online platforms is that you should all, you know, anything that I put out there, I look at it as it's going to be public. Even if right. it's not public, I just oh, look yeah. at it as like, I'm not going to put anything out there that, that I don't want to, you know, that would not be okay with, uh, right. with the public. But I think it is important for, pe- for people to put stuff out. There's some people who, you know, don't want to put anything out. They don't want to put any content. They don't want to share Privacy anything. Privacy is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, I think the issue with that is that if you, if you aren't creating content, if you aren't, uh, you know, sharing things, whether it's your own stuff or, or someone else's, uh, then really what you're allowing the marketplace to do is to define you. Right. And so rather than letting the marketplace define you, define yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't need to be jumping on you know, Instagram or, or doing videos every day if you don't like doing that, but find some way that you are comfortable with, that you're good at, where you can express and, and share your opinion and your expertise. Because once you do that, now when the marketplace starts to want to you know, learn about you, you're going to be able to kind of control to a degree uh, how they feel because they're going to look at what you put out there. But if you don't put anything out, then they're just going to look at you and decide you know, for you, which is right. not what you want. Mm-hmm. Well, and to me, that's why I think LinkedIn is so important because we're not posting things there really about our families, about our politics, about what sports teams we follow, you know, all of those various things. It does tend to be much more professional. Sure. So, you know, it, 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 to me, that is the place, <coughs> excuse me, to really be establishing your personal brand. But then, you know, still think about what are people reading about on Facebook and, and um, you know, and, and, and you're right. I mean, so many people are thinking, nah, I'm just not going to be there at all. But then people do make it up, you know, because we, what is it? Uh, we, we hate a vacuum. So it's like, well, if he's not posting, why not? Hmm. Well, it's just you need to be visible, right? If, unless, you're, unless people are already talking about you, um, then, you know, then you're not going to be found. And so, uh, that, like, that's the key, right? You, you want to be going from uh, being unknown to becoming known or going from being invisible to becoming visible. Mm-hmm. There's many different ways to accomplish that. You don't have to use LinkedIn or Facebook or any other social media channels. Right. There's other ways to accomplish it, but you do need to make sure that you're getting and that you have a way to get in front of your ideal clients because if they don't know that you exist, Right? If you're not on their radar, then they can't hire you. And I think that's also you know, a big challenge for people when they're getting into marketing is that they're, they're holding back on doing that stuff. They're not actively you know, on a daily basis or consistent basis letting the marketplace know that they exist. Um, and if you're not doing that, then don't expect you know, that people are going to come to you because they're, they likely won't. They need to know that you exist. They need to be um, you know, impressed with your level of authority and expertise and, and your thoughts and your opinions because mm-hmm. that's how they start to trust you. I mean, unless they're uh, meeting you face-to-face, they're not going to have the ability to know whether what you're saying is, is true or not. But if you actually put out you know, valuable content or you're doing things that really helps them to see that you are an expert, uh, they're going to feel, okay, yeah, this person likely is. And that's why things like books are so powerful, right? You, know, mm-hmm. you read a book, you've never met the person before, and you don't even know if 100% what they're saying is true. But just by having someone that has a book, it's like, oh, they have a book. I guess right. they're they must be an expert, mm-hmm. um, right? So it's not always true, but it, it does give that impression. And that's what this business is about. I mean, it is about forming, help people to form the right impressions and then really adding value in those relationships. Right. You know, and, and for someone who went, oh my God, you mean I have to write a book? Start small, you know, do blog posts, write articles, you know, do smaller things 
that then can become a book. Yeah, um, you, yeah, know, you don't like, have to have a book. There's there's definitely many right. successful consultants who, who don't have a book. Um, yeah, like you said, but you know, it's, it's finding the right platform for you um, and then leaning into it. But the other, just one of the key distinction there is, you know, you might like, let's say podcasts, mm-hmm. but if for some reason your ideal clients aren't consuming podcasts, right. then, mm-hmm. then that's not going to be effective for you. So ensure uh, that whatever medium you're using, that your ideal clients are going to be able to find you uh, and use that medium as well. Right. It's funny, Michael, I was, you, you and I are on the same wavelength because I was just about to say, you know, if, if the people you need to reach aren't on, say, Facebook, then don't be on Facebook, you know, or, or you yeah. know, be on it just for fun or, or whatever. But yeah, figure out where that is. And that might be meeting them in person. I mean, you know, it, and obviously it depends on who you're trying to reach, the industry, all those various things. So it might mean going to trade shows, going to, you know, conventions, mm-hmm. you know, it, networking, uh, you know, that are maybe industry specific, all of those various things, figure out where they are and go there. Um, you know, and, and that's hard again for a consultant because we're thinking, a, we have to save money. So that might cost money, you know, and so that's, that's a totally different conversation. But, you know, again, it's, well, we've got the greatest thing in the world. Why wouldn't they want to just get it from us? Um, but now you got to get in front of them where they're going to consume that information before they're ever going to consider working with you. Yeah, I think one point you just made there, which I know you mentioned could be a separate conversation, but um, I think it's important for people to, you know, to hear it from, um, you know, from you and I'll just maybe add my perspective as well to it, but that's like investing in yourself and investing in your business. Mm -hmm. Um, Consultants by nature are typically quite conservative Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, it's understandable when you transition from the corporate world or if businesses just come through referrals in your network, Mm -hmm. you you might not be used to investing in in your marketing Mm -hmm. uh, and building your business. But the reality is that if you switch that from looking at, at it the way that most people do, which is, oh, this is a cost. It's going to cost right. me money to do this or to do that, um, to, oh, this is an investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that by doing this, you're going to be able to, to generate you know, higher levels of visibility. You're going to be able to create more conversations. You're ultimately going to be able to win more business. You know, think about what is one client, uh, like what is one client worth to you? Right. And so some people get really scared about the idea of spending 5000 or 10000 or you know, dollars within a period of time or, or more or whatever. But just think about like, what is the value of one client? And for right. most consultants, at least that we work with, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's minimum 10000 It might be 50000 or 150000 right. or even over a million dollars. And so... So if you're doing a $20 Facebook ad, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You have to think if if you're selling, exactly, if you're selling a $5 ebook or even if you're selling a a $99 um, online course, right, then going and spending thousands and thousands of dollars without really proving how to make that work is not a good idea. But uh, And I'm not even talking about online advertising. It might even be, as you mentioned, going to an event or joining some kind of mastermind or whatever it is, like finding the right place that's going to get you in front of your ideal clients or that's going to help you to get your business to the next level. If you view it as an investment, uh, that's really where uh, you can, you know, you go beyond uh, your uh, competition because you're able to create an advantage because you're learning new things and you're standing out more than, than others are. I mean, certainly we've seen that in our business right. uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and, but it is tricky because, you know, when we're starting out, you know, we're probably self-financed to, to some sure. degree and, and all those various things. But that leads me to my question and that's the income side. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is without a doubt, maybe one of the hardest things for a consultant to figure out is how much 
do they charge? Um, you know, because they 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 don't want to immediately you know charge you know an arm and a leg. You know, oh wow, I think it's worth ten thousand dollars. They think, oh, hey, who's going to pay that with somebody they've ne- that has no experience? You know, and, but you also don't want to go. Oh, I'll only charge a hundred dollars because then people don't see the value in it. So, when you're working with consultants, how do you walk them through the process of setting their fees? Yeah, so the most important thing there is really to to have a what we call a meaningful uh, conversation with the buyer, where you're really uh, identifying the value and the per, uh, potential ROI okay. from doing doing that work. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of hourly fees, although many people use them. Uh, and I think it, is, it doesn't work well for the consultant or for uh, the client, right? You know, the consultant wants to work more hours to make more money. The, the client wants you to work less hours because they pay less. They're like, like, wait a minute, what do you mean you worked five hours last week? I think you yeah. only worked three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, and it's something that you have to keep track of and think about. And it's, it's not, um, I don't, I've never found it to be a, a good way to grow and to scale a consulting business. Uh, what works far better is to, have that conversation with the buyer where you help them to really identify what is the value here and why is it important and what happens if you don't do this. So, you know, we really dig deep into all these different aspects of uh, identifying value and, and helping the buyer to understand what is connected to doing this or what happens if they don't do it. And when you have that conversation, then you can Id- uh, identify, you know, what is the actual value and then you can base your fees off of that value and that potential ROI. And so, uh, you know, as an example, if you're working with a client and or a prospective client and you've identified that the work that you're going to do together is going to help them to generate, let's say, an extra million dollars in their business over the next 18 months or so, then you might look at that and say, well, a five times return on their investment, right? That would be uh, $200,000. So your fees could be around that. But I don't think we can just stop there. Some people look at um, kind of value-based fees and they, they think, yeah, I can go in and I can do a you know, a really short project and I'm going to help them make a million dollars. I'm going to charge $200,000. But a lot of uh, buyers don't understand that. They still are thinking from time-based. And so uh, you have to also really make sure that it's in the context of what other options does that buyer have? If you're trying to charge $200,000 and some other consultant is going to charge, you know, something closer to $50,000, you have to be very clear about Mm -hmm. why should that buyer choose you? And so now we're going to come back to your brand. We're coming back to the conversation that you have. And so it's all about how much value uh, are you able to, uh, you know, to communicate and how much kind of expertise uh, are you able to also uh, demonstrate as part of that conversation? But without a doubt, you know, shifting to focusing on on value and kind of ROI focused fees helps consultants to earn significantly more to maximize the value of every engagement, uh, and also to do it without having to to work more. Right, so you don't have to work more hours to make more. You can actually work less. And we've had many clients. I remember one who was going to send a, uh, a proposal to a client. They were planning going sixty thousand uh, dollars hourly based fees. And we went through it. We found that, no, this could actually be much closer to over $300,000. And so they, they updated it and they won the, the project. So it worked really well for them. We had another client went from an average $24,000 project to a $64,000 project, not spending any more time on delivery, rather just learning how to have that value conversation. Um, and so that's what I would recommend for most people is to really uh, focus on having a great conversation with buyers where you dig deep into value. You don't have a surface level conversation. You go really, really deep to identify that value and understand why do they really want to do this? What does it mean for them, for their business? Uh, What happens if they don't do it? And when you do that properly, then not only does the client see that value, they're much more excited to invest even at a higher level because they're looking at now as an investment, not as just a cost and expense. Right. Right. Now, along those lines, Michael, one of the things that, that I do, I don't list my fees anywhere. 
Um, you know, and, and I have other consultants that say, no, no, that's bad. They should always know, you know, and, and obviously it depends on what you're doing. Sure. Um, but, you know, and, and part of that is because I do exactly what you said. I tailor it for each, you know, client that I'm working with. Right. Um, some might need more, some might need less. And, you know, but one of the hardest hurdles that I had to get over was, you know, I do a proposal for somebody and I would say, okay, it's going to be $5,000 to develop this website. Mm-hmm. We will do A, B, C, D, E, F for that $5,000. And they come back and they go, eh, sounds great, but our budget's only $2,500. Mm-hmm. And of course, especially when you're starting out, you're like, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, so sorry. I never should have said $5,000. So of course, right there, you devalued yourself. Um, because they're thinking, well, what else could we knock off? Um, you know, and, and so I learned if they, you know, if they really did come back. Now, clearly, I probably didn't have the right conversation with them because right. if they're if they're immediately trying to to knock down on it, well, then you know, I didn't I didn't get this right to start with. But you know, I, if they really came back and and pushed back on the price, rather than saying accepting it, I would say, okay, so what what's the important things that we have to add, and what can we take out? to hit that, that amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually they figured out, oh yeah, we really did need the whole thing. Um, but it is all about having those conversations. And, and that's why I like it when, um, you know, we, when you do get to talk to the clients. You know, my, my first years in business, we responded to a lot of uh, RFPs. So requests for proposal, requests mm-hmm. for quotes. And you would get this, you know, this little piece of paper and, and it would say, we need somebody to do this and this and this and this. And you give us a proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you didn't get to talk to anybody. You know, and, and so you really were just kind of shooting in the dark to, to be able to do that. And even if it's something like developing a website, you know, or, or, you know, things that are pretty standard, you still need to be able to talk to somebody to, to find out a little bit more about them. And so I, I just avoid that completely. You know, I, I, you know, yeah, now I might talk to them and provide a proposal, sure. but you know, I, I don't just respond to the, the, the blank ones anymore. Yeah, those are very challenging. Uh, we're not big fans of them either. We do have a few clients who, you know, you, you can't escape uh, RFPs in certain industries when you're All working. Right. Especially if you're working for the government or yeah, very it's, large. It's challenging. Uh, but there, if you're anyone out there who's doing a lot of RFP work, I would recommend a book by Tom Searcy called RFPs Suck. Um, <laughs> great title, but also a really good book. And Tom's a, a really good guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything that you said there, I think is, is true. RFPs do make it challenging because you don't have, in most cases, Although, um, no, there are certain situations where you're able to uh, reach out to that buyer and say, hey, uh, I'd love to, you know, ask some questions here to better understand really what you're looking for and and potentially gain a bit of an advantage. Um, But this is, you know, really what fees are about is having that conversation. And I think the other thing that you mentioned there too, Deb, is if you take on work, a lot of what people don't see is that if you take on work that is lower paying, right, lower value, Mm -hmm. uh, in the early days, it might be okay because you're just building up kind of your case studies (laughs) and results. uh, But especially as you move forward, what happens is you then fill up your calendar with a lower paying, lower valued client. And so it's short term thinking because you might think, well, I need that money right now. But what happens then if a week later, you know, you talk with someone else and now uh, they really see the value in what you're doing and you could potentially work with them, but now your calendar is full and you're not able to actually work with them. Mm -hmm. So positioning yourself and always thinking about the long term, typically, if you have an abundance mindset over a scarcity mindset, uh, you will find that uh, you'll create and, uh, you know, more larger kind of higher value opportunities will appear, but it certainly is hard in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I remember what it was like when I first got started about 19 plus years ago, 
I, I definitely took on work that when I look at now, you know, wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. But by taking that on, I learned a lot of lessons. I also was able to build up case studies and results and more testimonials. Uh, so at the early stage, you know, you got to be a little bit scrappy. You got to make things happen. But as quickly as possible, learning the best practices ultimately helps you to to see better results, um, you know, much faster. Right. Well, and then of course there is that that fun little thing called word of mouth. Um, you know, if 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 say you you do something for a client, you charge five thousand dollars for it, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you know, and and you want them to tell people, hey, we loved working with Deb. She's great. We think you should work with her too. Often that conversation is going to be, and how much did you pay her? Sure. So if I knocked it down, you know, and, and for whatever reason, you know, friends and family discount, I always like those. I'm like, no, sorry. Um, your friends and family are often more difficult to work with, right? So you want to, <laughs> um, but. Charge them more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, <laughs> and I have been charged, not, you know, not with friends and family, but I have been known to charge what I call the stupid tax. <laughs> you know, if, if it's going to take me more time to deal with somebody, I'm going to charge them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, you know. I don't want everyone else setting my price for me um, and, and expecting that, you know, it's the, because, you know, say I go back to somebody and say, well, no, that's actually going to cost you 10000 Well, wait a minute. You gave it to Michael for 5000 What's the big deal? Um, you know, and, and so you have to be very careful when you start knocking things down. Uh, you know, you need to be able to, to, to explain why. And I tell people, you know, be very careful with having sales, um, you know, and, and, you know, and I see that happen all the time with people, you know, and they'll say, yeah. our calendars are free right now, two for one special. Well, you know, when it's one for one, yeah. I'm feeling annoyed. I think the distinction uh, there, like, you know, you got, you're asking, you're kind of uh, pointing to uh, displaying pricing versus not showing, you know, your, your fees or pricing on your website or whatever it might be. And, uh, really what I would say there and you know, our experience and observation with, with hundreds of clients with, uh, on this topic is really that if you're productizing your services, meaning that you're delivering the same thing to people over and over, kind of regardless of you know, what their situation is. You have a set price. Definitely. Because then what you're doing is you're able to qualify people. If you know, okay, this starts at 5,000, someone sees that and their budget is 1,000, well, they're not going to reach out to you and it saves you time in having that conversation. Okay. But if you're doing custom consulting, um, then definitely focusing on value. Like if you don't focus on value and ROI, you're going to end up leaving a lot of money on the table. So that would be the distinction that I would make is that if you are providing something that is productized, then you can definitely display the price if you want. But I think even more importantly in making the decision of whether or not you uh, display pricing is are you doing a good enough job of uh, communicating uh, the value of what you're offering before someone sees the price? So if someone comes to your website and you say, you know, we offer marketing strategy programs and it's $15,000. Well, they're going to look at that 15000 and feel like that's a cost because right. they don't see the value in it. But if you have a full page that really gets into the details of your program and the results and examples and all that before they see the price, well, now they look at that price, but they've already been feeling all the value and, you know, the potential outcome and benefits for them. So when they see the price, they go, okay, yeah, 15000 maybe that's more or less or whatever than I was thinking, but it's in the context of the actual value. Well, one of the things that you talk about are the six principles of running a successful virtual consultancy. That's kind of a mouthful. So let's let's kind of go through some of those. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this was from a, a podcast and also a post that I put up on Consulting Success where I, I talked about kind of the, the six different steps or the six um, you know principles that uh, have allowed us to, to run a seven-figure consulting business while traveling the world. And so uh, last year, I spent about five months out of the country with my family traveling and still running the business. 
Um, and so these were kind of the principles that I shared in, uh, in that podcast. Um, the first one is having a simple business model. I okay. see a lot of these days that, that overcomplicate their business model. Uh, they have many different offerings. And so it's very hard to, to run a streamlined, profitable business if you're providing many different services and many different products to the marketplace because it's, it's more complex, right? You have different um, offers, you have different price points, you have uh, different processes, different systems, different you know, ways to engage with people. So it creates a lot more complexity. And what we found over the years that if you want to have you know, a million plus dollar business, you typically only need two offers. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have been, been able to achieve it with just one offer. Right. You don't need eight offers. You don't need 10 different products to, to have a million dollar business. You can make that happen just simply by having two products or two services, I should say, uh, in the case of consulting. Uh, so yeah, keeping things simple with a simple business model is really, really important. And it doesn't mean there's just one way to do it. There's different ways to structure a model. So that really depends on what people want in terms of their lifestyle and their goals. But that would be the first thing that I would say. Um, the second thing is, is having the right team and, and kind of support in place. So uh, I can't do this all, right? We have a team of people, uh, but we're all virtual. You actually work with your cousin. I love I that. Yeah, my cousin and business partner, Sam, we've, been, um, we've built multiple businesses together. We've sold businesses together. Um, we've also had our time kind of running separate businesses. But yeah, it's a lot of fun being able to, to work with uh, my cousin, Sam, who's, who's like a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he's you know, an integral part of the team. But we also have... Uh, other members that help in other areas. So we have, for example, Vincent that helps with technology. We have Saba that helps with content. We have Jessica that helps with other elements of content. So we have, we have different people. We have uh, um, other coaches that also help with our coaching program. So uh, having this team, what it allows us to do is that, you know, I don't need to try and do everything. If I try to do everything myself, I wouldn't be able to spend that time with my family. I wouldn't be able to, you know, create the experiences and memories that I do. And this is a big challenge for many consultants at the early stages because they don't want to spend money. They look at it as a cost to try and, you know, bring someone on. And I'm not, I'm not even talking full time as an employee, but even just as a contractor. Right. And so my, my recommendation is always look at everything that you're doing and identify those areas that are lower value, that are repetitive tasks, that aren't your highest kind of value creation and delegate those to other people. Yes, it might cost you some money, but if you actually look at what your value is, even on an hourly basis, you know, let's just say you're earning the equivalent, even if you're not charging hourly, but the equivalent is $250 an hour. Well, if you paid someone $50 an hour, I mean, every uh, hour that you actually spend doing that low value task, you're losing $200, right? So getting off to someone else is actually really freeing. It helps you to grow into scale. Delegating is hard. It is so hard. And especially when you're starting out and finances are tight. Yep. Yeah. You know, you, but, but it's so critical. On what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's so, so important. Um, another one, another point here is just having the right systems and processes. So we consistently look at how can we take what we're doing and refine it, have a better system around it, have a better process. Uh, and if you look at any organization that is able to scale, that is able to be really profitable and lean, uh, they need systems and processes. So finding ways, so for example, with, with our programs, we always make sure there's good structures. We know exactly how to onboard clients. So when someone signs up, here's what happens, then here's what happens next. So we look at it like step by step by step. Right. And anyone can do this. You can kind of like codify or, or uh, break your process and how you engage with clients into different phases and then make sure that you have good systems, processes, technologies that support you in, in making that happen. Um, so rather than, for example, when we bring on clients into a new program, we used to do a lot of that manually, send different emails, this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. but we found ways to automate that process just right. to make it a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that when you look at it, a one-time thing doesn't save a lot of time, but when you look at it, you know, over hours and 
you know, weeks and months and right. years and so forth, it really adds up. And so that's, that's very beneficial. Um, I can keep going if you want in some of the others, or you tell me how we're doing on, on time. Sure, we're, we're doing good on time. It, it's okay. kind of fading away here. It's getting a little darker on my side. Um, people know I'm, I'm in Atlanta and we're getting a heck of a storm. And so it's getting darker outside. Um, so I'm just kind of, it's getting darker and darker in here. Hopefully I don't fade away. <laughs> All right. You, you look right to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, keep going, keep going. Tell okay, us. Okay, sure. So yeah. Um, another one that I talk about is the idea of, uh, prioritizing or kind of, you know, uh, just prioritize. Uh, and this is really important. I see, people who try and run their businesses doing a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and they don't have real uh, clarity and focus around what are the highest priority items. Uh, So you might start your day. (laughs) Squirrel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Or you start your day and you start it just by, by fighting fires and doing emails or Mm -hmm. a very common one is that people will start by doing work that is comfortable and easy for them, which might be updating their business plan, might be playing with their website, adjusting their copy, you know, changing LinkedIn, whatever things like that, that make you feel like you are being productive, mm-hmm. but in fact, you're just being busy. And so right. doing a lot does not equal making progress. Doing the right things uh, is where you make progress. So it's kind of like the 80-20 principle, right? Rather than focusing on 80% of, of kind of activities that only create 20% of the result, mm-hmm. what you should be doing always, and I always think this like, you know, almost every day I'm thinking, well, what am I doing right now? What's the next plan? It's identifying the 20% of things that you to do that will create 80% of the result. Right. And by doing that, right, and really prioritizing on a daily uh, and regular basis, you're able to ensure that you're making real progress on the most meaningful things. And then if you work with a team, making sure that your team is also applying those same principles and done kind of in, in unison, real, um, you know, significant kind of exponential growth uh, can occur. Mm-hmm. So that's another, um, I also talk about the idea of, of sacrifice. I think, you know, I've been building many uh, businesses now for many years and uh, there are sacrifices that you have to make. So some people, you know, want to still play a lot of video games. They want to watch, watch a lot of television or they want to go out all the time for, for drinks with their friends. And, uh, you know, depending on what stage you're at in your, in your business, uh, really being able to, to look at those opportunities that you have. And again, coming, coming back to the idea of prioritization, but also the idea of, of sacrifice. Like when I was on the coast of Spain with my, uh, with my wife and, and daughter, this was before we had our second child, uh, I remember, you know, I'd be up late. Uh, doing calls with with clients and doing like group coaching calls and you know working on stuff because that was the time zone difference. So right. you might look at that and go, well, you know, like, well, you weren't enjoying or you know you were working late at night. No, that's the that's the cost of doing business. That's right. that's a sacrifice that um, you know that I make, but I'm happy to make it because there's a lot of other freedom in the fact that I'm able to you know be in the coast of Spain with my family is is a really nice thing and it creates these fantastic memories. And then the final one is uh, is making decisions. And this might sound like just a very simple kind of principle or idea, but I find so many people don't make decisions. They hesitate, right? They know what they should be doing. They have ideas, uh, but they don't actually pull the trigger. And they often find, you know, so if you want to achieve something, but then you really start analyzing it, you then end up overanalyzing it. You think about it too much. Uh, and then you create all these reasons of what could go wrong. And so you never actually pull the trigger and then you don't get the result. And so what I've been able to kind of identify um, and observe from uh, studying successful people and, and working with them over the years is that people who move quickly, uh, people who don't necessarily have all of the answers, but they still move forward are the ones that actually see the greatest level of, of success mm-hmm. and results. Right. Uh, and so and I'm not- scary. Oh my gosh. Of course it is. Of course it is. But that's what being an entrepreneur and a business owner is all about. And so if taking risks is something that really freaks you out, mm-hmm. either you need to get the support to learn how to overcome that or 
you know, there's nothing wrong with, with not being an entrepreneur, but entrepreneurship does require taking risks. And uh, I'm talking about calculated risks, right? You know, making sure that you're doing the right things, right. But, but don't be scared to pull the trigger because that's where real breakthroughs come from. If you're always staying kind of in the zone of the known, if you're always kind of in the safe harbor, mm-hmm. then nothing happens, right? You're not going to see the, the world. You're not going to see the beauty. But mm-hmm. if you get past that harbor and you're out into the, the choppy waters, yes, it might be challenging for, for some time and it might feel a bit crazy, but then you're going to see that beautiful sunset. You know, the, the water will be beautiful all, all around you. You're going to reach new places and new lands. And it's the same in business. When you do new things, you push yourself, you try new things, um, you know, good things tend to happen. And even if they don't come right away, you're learning a lot that you can take and you're, you know, moving further away and identifying what doesn't work. So mm-hmm. you're able to get closer to what actually does work. Right. You know, and, and I think that is one of the, the critical things is, you know, we do make mistakes. I mean, you know, whatever it is, we're, you know, we're not perfect. And, you know, and, and, but it's important that we learn from that mistake, Um, you know, and, and figure out, okay, well, you know, this, this was what we needed to do differently. But if we're waiting for the situation to be perfect, it's never going to happen. Yeah. There's Um, no such thing as perfection. I I agree hundred percent. And I think that is one of the, the scary things for consultants is, we do think, okay, my website must be perfect. My blog must be perfect. My, my product, my service, whatever it is, must be perfect. Um, and again, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, and just as we're also not going to find the perfect client. You know, I wish we could. Wouldn't that be great? Um, you know, and, and now what we want to aim towards are the, the, the better clients as opposed to those that, as I said, you know, I charge some a stupid tax. Um, you know, we do want to, to have more of the, the, the good clients that are, mm-hmm. are you know, the, the right clients. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes being a consultant, one of the hardest things to do is fire a client or tell somebody no. Um, you know, and, and I always like to have a, a different solution for them. You know, somebody might come to me and say, hey, can you, know, can you do this? And I, no, but here's who I recommend you talk to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and of course, one of the things that we end up doing, especially starting out is we think I'm, I'm going to work with them anyway. You know, it's not a good fit for whatever reason, but I need the money. Um, you know, and, and shoot, that could happen at any point in your business where you're thinking, okay, we need the money. And so you work with somebody where it's not a good fit. And all that ends up happening is nobody's happy, um, you know, and, and so that, you know, find that, but it, part of that is, as you were saying, you know, find out who your, your perfect client is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, who do you want to work with? I mean, if you're, if your target audience are working moms and you decide to work with single dads, it's probably not going to be successful. Um, you know, or, I mean, you know, on the flip side, you might figure, ooh, that's really where I want to be. But, you know, it, it is something that we need to, to focus on and, and make sure that we're straight on that. Definitely. Yeah, it's an important point to be clear on your ideal client and then right. have the, the messaging that's going to resonate with them for sure. Right. Well, good golly, Michael, we are almost out of time and there's still five things that I didn't even ask you about um, that I wanted to, to talk with you about. So it, it definitely means that we need to have you on again. And as I said, I think this is so important because there are so many people who are consultants just starting out, been in the business 20 years, you know, whatever that, that really can, you know, use these discussions. And of course, also, <coughs> there are people who are thinking about doing something like this. And, and so it's sure. great that there is this resource. So tell people how they find you and connect with you online. 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're welcome to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. You can just type my name in Michael Zapersky there. Um, we also have a 47 page guide on how to become a successful consultant. And you can get that by going to consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint. I think I did that. Um, so, I'll, you know, that'll be interesting. Um, and I know I signed up for your newsletter. And so that is something, you know, there's lots of other great resources that you have. You you have your blog posts and obviously your, your two books. And so I encourage people to check those out. I didn't have the opportunity to read your books, but it definitely is is something that I, I need to do. Um, you know, and, and I will do that. But in the meantime, are there any final words that you want to leave everyone with? You know, I'm a big believer in taking action. Um, and so I would just say whatever it is that you want to achieve right now, whether it's in, in business or, you know, in the personal side, um, just start moving towards it. Um, that's, that's where you'll actually, you know, get, uh, make some real progress. So whatever it is that you've been thinking about that you want to accomplish, but maybe you just haven't been pulling the trigger. You've been, you know, overanalyzing, overthinking or thinking about what might not work out. The reality is that most things that we worry about in life don't actually end up coming uh, you know, to into reality, uh, they're just thoughts that we have, and so move those aside. Um, you know, get out of your own way and realize that you do have the potential that you want. You just need to start working towards it. Great, I love it. And with that, I am going to end the program. I'm Deb Creer. I've been having a wonderful time talking with Michael Zapersky of Consulting Success and Coach to Consultants. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.